Lance Yeager, how's it going, man? <laughs> Doing good. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. You actually missed some. We had some com- some some pre gaming there, and we're, we're going to try to get around <laughs> to it if we can remember it. But uh, yeah, tell us what you do, Lance. I do a lot. Um, I run a jujitsu academy with my wife here in Waco. Um, I'm a firefighter in Spring, Texas, over near the Woodlands in Houston. Um, yeah, that keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> Yeah. Pick around on the guitar a little bit. Yeah, that's that's select jujitsu for anyone out there. Just uh, we'll get we'll, we'll plug like all the websites and stuff <laughs> later. So we'll get first to that, chokes but, free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You hear that, everybody? First chokes free. Maybe you're into that. Maybe you're not, but you want to choke other people. That's the place to learn. Um, so you change lives through jujitsu, and you save lives through firefighting. That's it's pretty awesome. Uh. Those are seem to be very different things. Do you do you think so, or do you think there there is a lot of similarity between the two things? Like, so I've been doing martial arts for so long, it's like the filter that I see everything through. Right. Yeah. So I started martial arts when I was about nine. I've done traditional martial arts like kimpo karate, taekwondo for a long time. I have a second degree black belt in taekwondo, um, muay thai kickboxing. I have a couple of professional MMA fights from back in the day. That's kind of how I started jujitsu in 07. I had two pro MMA fights and I got choked in both of those fights. So I bought a gi and I started doing jujitsu every day since then and never stopped. Um, about 2010, a guy offered me a salary to teach and I've been feeding myself with jujitsu ever since then. Um, when it, it's kind of the running joke at the fire department though, you know, like I am a white belt at firefighting. Like I am beginner. Yeah. Uh, we just the hiring group that I went through. There were about eight of us that went through it, and I was almost the oldest. I'm 38, and uh, and the least experienced of all the guys. They'd all had other jobs at other fire departments, other previous experience, and so uh, that definitely knocked me down a few notches to have to start something so involved from ground zero yeah but i'm pretty thankful that i'm not 20 in learning how to do this yeah. you know so yeah that's kind of the fun part about it i don't get too much hassle from for being a rookie because they don't have to teach me how to cook and mop the floors right, and clean right. the toilets yeah, that's yeah. all stuff that's grown-up stuff hand you a toothbrush and, yeah <laughs> yeah and 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 there's a little bit of background there too of uh you going through sort of i i would, I would say some kind of like New blood harassment because you you were in the army. Right? It was in the air force. Air force. Okay. Yeah. So so you've gone through that. So I, I think a lot of people, if they know that, then they know. Okay. Well, they've they've gone through the the ringer as far as you know boot camp and all that stuff. So, um, and and, and being older, you know, they don't feel like okay. Well, we're not gonna fuck with this guy too much. You know, he's <laughs> they're not not as gullible as like the right. you know some you know nineteen twenty year old give him a toothbrush to go tell him to go you know scrub the floor with it or something but uh well, i've got a deflection technique that i've been pretty handy with that um you know we've got a we pretty much call me the fng the fucking new guy oh yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh kind of the trick is whenever i catch myself screwing up and i just kind of imagine oh if i saw a new guy doing this i'd be harassing him i'm a like a i like to troll it's right, fun right so anytime i goof up in that capacity i just so freaking new guy you know and if i'm the first one if i beat them to it well then what are they going to do they're going to keep on me after i've already called out that i recognize i goofed up yeah takes yeah. a lot of the steam off yeah you know? yeah they don't really 
lay into me too much. Yeah, you can't. You don't take things as as personally from other people if you you know just kind of use that on yourself first. I am absolutely a bigger critic of myself yeah. than they're ever going to be. Oh yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure. The so uh, that's that kind of thing is like it's it's fun for me. It is uh, often pretty scary to do something new, but it is like when you, it's it's a weird thing when you're like good at something. And then you go somewhere new and it's like new territory, especially being older, you know, when you're younger, everything's new territory. Right. But when you're, when you're, when you're good at something, you're a professional. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm like uh, coding or something, I feel pretty comfortable. But if, you know, I, if, I, if I go do something else, you know, even things I enjoy, like, you know, woodworking or, or, you know, just building things in general, it's always like, I always feel like a noob at that. And it's, but, but when you do it, you know, then you're like, it feels good. You're like, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm getting this. That's uh, That was something, too, that kind of a unique experience. So it's like hierarchies. Everybody, especially when you're starting something new, but if you're consistently going after something like a pursuit in your life, you're like climbing a hierarchy. If it's your job, you know, there's like, well, I start off at the bottom of the food chain and I want to be a manager someday, so I have to go through these steps and learn these skills and these jobs. And in the jujitsu territory, and I mean, I'm the head instructor I've climbed to the hierarchy there and there's still plenty far to go there, but it's high enough to where I can walk into an academy. And because I'm a black belt instructor, I get immediate like respect for, you know, the work that I've already put in and then to be a white belt, like, and I kind of flip that role days, day in and day out throughout the week, you know? Um, And that's kind of a fun thing. But at the same time, like I started jujitsu, I was probably 22 or 23 before I like, started doing it strictly just training jujitsu and I know how fast I covered ground because I was like obsessed with it. That it's kind of the same thing with the fire department. It owns so much of my focus and thought process that even when I was really screwing it up big in the first couple of months, and I'm about six months in, mm-hmm. um, I can, I still had the, my age kind of kicked in a little bit where I could go, well, I know where I'm going to be in six months from now. Yeah. I know where this is going to, where I'm going to like, what my skills are going to look like five years of studying this and treating like, um, you know, if in jujitsu, if I want to learn an arm bar, I'll practice that repetition, repetition, repetition. What's well, the same thing in the fire department. Oh, I have to pull this inch and three quarter hose off the truck and I have to drag it out and get it lined up. So it goes right in the building. Oh, I screwed it up. Well, let's load it up and do it again. And getting the reps in, I know what 10 or 15 reps can do for my understanding of, you know, my tactical ability of grabbing and doing and yeah. things like that. But, oh, your first day that, uh, you know, you, we did like a three-week orientation. And then you have your first shift that you work. And I goofed it up so bad that first <laughs> day. I was like embarrassed. And then I worked kind of like it. I did two shifts at a station that wasn't my home station. Uh, it was just kind of like uh, the captain that was going to be my, that's my supervisor, was doing something else. Maybe had a couple of days off and they had to put me at this other station until he was available. The captain that was watching me during those two shifts, I could feel the eye roll like the, this guy. I've got to like, this guy's got to have his hand held the whole time. And, uh, and then I figured it out pretty quick, you know, within four or five shifts of, you know, working with my new crew. And this other captain, I see him all the time and I'm like, oh. How long is it going to be before he can see me perform well and I can like get some respect back from him? Because I know when I cross paths in the morning, when we change shifts, he's like, (laughs) I'm glad this guy's on that guy's shift. He hasn't seen me like work and do and uh, perform, you know, 
Um, but anyway, it's just kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you, you talked about goofing up and making those mistakes. But you kind of, with, with age and experience, you kind of learn to roll with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to make, you have to goof up to get better That's at things. Point, yeah. it, it, all, it always happens. But it's you're just not used to it as much with something you're good at. So then you go to something new. But since, you know, I think with age and, and experience, like I was saying that, you you learn that like okay that happens i gotta i just gotta own up to it and keep going whereas someone who's younger they they'll really let that you know dwell on that mistake and 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 they can make more mistakes because they're thinking of that instead of moving forward so i think that helps a lot with a lot of um a lot of positions when you're older is that you know you're gonna make just as many mistakes as someone who's younger but you learn to roll with it better Mm -hmm. and and um and, and i would i would imagine with you you think the the years of, of martial arts and and, uh, and all that has probably um, made you a fairly disciplined person, right? So, or I'm like disciplined in things I enjoy. Okay, yeah, you know, like um, yeah, that'd be the way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I feel that too. I there there are certain things that if someone saw me doing something a certain way, like. It, it would be the same kind of thing, like, oh, that guy's really disciplined. But there's other things I'm like, I have absolutely zero discipline, you know? So, yeah, like, for weird. me, it's food. I have no <laughs> discipline in, in food. So, uh, yeah. Um, but you enjoy jiu-jitsu, so you have a lot of discipline there, right? Oh, yeah. You get yeah. out and you, you know, roll. My having... classes, I teach the same way. I practice the t- – like, there's a an ebb and flow to the week of the curriculum mm-hmm. that um, – I'm pretty structured. It's actually hard for me to break the structure whenever I have an idea of like, oh, I think the class would be better if I shifted it and taught it from this perspective and maybe worked on these things like this and then shift and work on these things like that. Um, I'll have this great idea. I'll write it out. And I'm like, great. And then I'm like 30 minutes into my class. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm like in my rut. I'm doing the thing. I'm teaching my class how it's just instinctive for me to teach it this way, even though I just sat at the coffee shop for an hour and wrote notes you know, I get yeah. here and I start talking to my friends and, oh, you guys ready to rock and roll? And I just go right into class. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like switch back on. It's like, the, yeah. And um, so it's kind of like, you know, breaking bad habits, even if it, for, for your class, if it's something you're used to, it's not a bad habit, but it's the same as trying to break a bad habit. It's hard. Yeah. Habits in general, mm-hmm. whether good or bad, are hard to, to break and mold. You know, they get, they become concrete in our brain and it's hard to kind of like, you know, be more flexible with that. But um, yeah, that makes sense. But, but, but you enjoy jujitsu and then you enjoy firefighting. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that means that discipline kind of rolls over, doesn't it? But if you were yeah. doing something you didn't like, you're just like, whatever, man. Well, we were kind of talking about this earlier before we got started about like, um, people talk about ADD about like, and I, I always say, uh, it's, it kind of bothers me when people talk about it, like it's a disability in the sense that I need to take this medication when, looking back like that's something that I had struggled putting my attention on classwork going through was because it was boring. Right. Nobody ever said, well, what's your teacher like? Are they just a bump on a log that's reading out of the textbook, trying to get you to do the bare minimum or is, you know, like I never had problem. I had a couple of like a biology teacher when I was in high school that she liked her job, mm-hmm. you know? So it got me into it and like, Oh, well, you know, we're doing experiments on a regular basis, you know, and I know how these things are going to turn out because of my experience I learned, you know? Um, so a lot of times when I think about people that are struggling with 
ADD and then they take medication for whatever reason, um, maybe they haven't found the angle that gives them passion for the thing that they're struggling to pay attention to. Um, like I could even fall out of that in jujitsu and get stuck in a rut and just get like bored with teaching. But if I have a tournament on the horizon and I'm trying to get myself prepared for that tournament and I have five, 10, 15 students that are going to that tournament. Well, now I'm engaged. Oh, I have to help them prepare for that moment. Or if I'm going to teach a class because I'm supposed to be there at noon to teach, that's real easy to like not be inspired by. But if I think, oh, I've got police officers in my class. I need to make sure that their class is good and effective because they're going to have to use this to save their butt someday. Yeah. You know, and, and not just to save their butts, but I mean, yeah. I, every cop should, should probably do jujitsu oh, because it would save so many other situations with de-escalation techniques and, and, and taking someone down in a fairly safe way. You know, if they're a little hard with it and break some bones, whatever, but it's better than shooting someone, I think, unless it's absolutely necessary. Well, it's but. a, it's an overlooked tool of de-escalation. The people, the officers that train with me are genuinely good folks. Like they recognize that when you're trying to de-escalate from lethal force to verbal compliance, you have to be skilled at the middle ground, mm-hmm. the physical compliance, you know, and it's like a sad thing that when they talk about the other officers that they work with, that they're trying to bring these other officers in to do jujitsu. And they're like, I don't need that jujitsu stuff. Never had any problem. And uh, then, then they tell them like, well, what if I came after you? And like, I just shoot you. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what the- yeah. Yeah. You're missing the point here. You shouldn't, you should want to go your entire career without having to pull your gun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's, unfortunately, I think there are some that, you know, deep down they're like, ah, I'm just waiting for the motherfucker to rush <laughs> me, you know? Cause they just like, they want to feel like a hero doing that. But like, I see the guy that's able to take someone down, uh, you know, in an unarmed fashion and deal with it that way. Those, those are the heroes, you know? I think if someone, there's different, obviously there's a a million situations that can happen, but, but yeah, it's right. I mean, a lot of times the, the verbal deescalation, it's going to go nowhere for some people, especially if someone's, you know, like hopped up on PSP or PSP, PCP or something like that. It's like your words mean nothing to them. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of things mean nothing that your gun, your your bullets might mean nothing. Your taser means nothing to them. You know, so there's just other ways you have to handle it, you know? And, and then there's, there is a lot of area in there that's, that's, uh, untapped. That's, I think that's a good word for that. Uh, well, the, the presence that you carry when you're confident that you can handle yourself is huge. Yeah. Two of the, like, I've got two very skilled jujitsu practitioners that are school resource officers. They, they need to be able to walk in the room and everybody go, Oh, we better settle down. They're here. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, those even more than just regular cops. The yeah. school resource officers and the school police force, they definitely need. They need to be able to put skills. the hand on the shoulder and make eye contact. Make, hey, listen, this has got to yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> the, we, we, need, we need the schools to fund them. You know, I think they, they should do that as part of, you know, just kind of, a, um, you know, an extra like a, you know, they have these health benefits where they pay, you know, we'll pay so much towards like a gym membership or something. And they show, hey, we'll pay, you know, half of your jujitsu membership if you'll go do it, you know? Well, and that's something that it's a staffing issue, but like the fire department, for instance, we are training every shift every day of every shift. 
every day that goes by, well, beyond physical physical training, that's just as much a piece of being skillful at the tactics of doing your job as that I might have to pick some heavy shit up and get out from under it or save somebody else out from under it and, you know, um, haul and hose. Dude, we're wearing 60 pounds of equipment when our boots hit the ground, you know, and breathing through an air an air bottle that's, you know, you're claustrophobic and struggled breathing, you know, you have to be very comfortable in that situation. Yeah. But on top of that, we got to, okay, let me go grab 200 foot of hose on and head into that situation, you know, um, and then go catch a plug and hook up to the hydrant and then go do the hose and then force the door open and do your just work. Um, so the physical, we have to train an hour to an hour and a half a day when we're on shift. It's like mandatory weightlifting, cardio, conditioning, stuff like that. But that's on top of practicing pulling hose, practicing forcing doors. We've got yeah. a couple of dummy doors at the station for training that we crack them open. They swing outwards, they swing inwards. You do one side and out the other, flip around, do it again. Yeah. And uh, which is more cardio and more strength. And, <laughs> and so I would say 20% of our time is spent training. Yeah. If you include the phys- physical fitness and the practicing a skill, um, it's at least 20%. And that's like a, just a ballpark. Um, I probably, my shift probably has to do more. Any shift that has a rookie on it. I've got my first year, I've got these four phases that I have to go through where they have to test me on skills. Next time I go back to work, I have a phase test where they run me through three or four skills that are just required of me. And yeah. there's strict time lim- limits and uh, things that I have to meet. Um Officers, I mean, they have CEs they have to go through, but mm-hmm. the training is not as strict once you come out of the the academy, the police academy. Yeah. After that point, especially for the hands-on stuff, it's just not required. It's, it takes the officer has to like have the initiative to say, I want to go to this Gracie survival tactics class, or I want to go through this, you know, defensive tactics instructor course so I can learn how to teach the other officers on my shift. Yeah. Um, most of the officers that train at my academy they're just fascinated with being good at their job and they do that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. We need more of that. Yeah. Especially in those, those are big industries, you know, that yeah. uh, the police, fire, EMT, you know, all that. We need the people who are really into their job. Those are the ones I want them more than teachers, more than anyone. Yeah. I want those people to be the and most into their job. It's weird. Um, like part of it's this era that we live in that the pool of people that are going through that training it's not always like, um, like it almost seems like the people that would do well in a law enforcement environment tend to shift to the military first, mm. you know, um, because they, like even with me in fire, um, I like my job. I love where I work. We're slow. Not our city. Our city's busy. Yeah. It's just the luck of the draw. We have nine stations and my station does not get a lot of the calls. And so, you know, uh, Obviously, I'm glad nobody's house is burning down in yeah. territory for sure. Um, but they do burn down in the city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get called to them. But a lot of times we're third, fourth, fifth truck on the way there. And they turn us around. They yeah. say, we got it. We got it tapped out, you know. Yeah. But, um, like, there's a lot of people that uh, want that action. Like, the people that want to be good at that job, mm-hmm. they want to get out there and get action. They get that from the military. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, people that... that um they enlist and then it's harder for them to, um, to get promotions and things because they haven't, you know, 
they haven't gone overseas or anything. They haven't had any combat. And, you know, you get those guys that are like, I, I need combat. I need to go because I want to get, you know, they get, you know, certain awards or whatever, and they need combat experience to move up to a certain rank or whatever. Um, I, I have a friend who's, uh, he's uh, been a calf scout for, I mean, since he's been in for, I don't know, eight years. And he hasn't, he's never seen combat and i know for so many years he was like i j- i need to go you know and the, they just wouldn't send him you know yeah. and it, it's uh it, it's those kind of people though it's the same thing you know just like i want to i want to move up and i need you to send me you know they take that initiative um it would be nice to get that from other uh other sectors but you know the <clears throat> the, the military right now is uh they're having a hard time like uh with numbers they're not the recruitment is just like dive bombed in the last 10 years and they've upped the you know you can you can join the army i think up to 42 now or the air force is 42 the navy is 39 like they've bumped you know because i remember back when you know when i was 18 i was kind of like ah, you know maybe i could look into that and it was like i remember the age limit was like you know 29 or something and it's like now you know since i was 18 20 years almost 20 years ago they've bumped it up 10 years, you know, cause they're like, we need more people. Yeah. And I think they're hoping that like the, the millennial generation still has some people that are like, maybe like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll join now, you know, but there, it seems like they don't have as much hope for the younger generation. Yeah. And it's, I mean, some of it's like dependent on, like, I think it's the community, the young generation that's out there. Like even in firefighting, you know, I talked to my dad, my dad was a firefighter started back in the eighties, like 80, 81, something mm-hmm. like that. I have to check with him, but, um, he said that when he went and took his test, he tested it like in the Dallas area, like Carrollton and Addison, a couple other departments. He said there'd be three, four, five hundred people show up to take the test. And that's what I always just imagined. But in the last couple of years, it's weird. I'm in the firefighting career because of COVID. I was a small business right. owner and my business got turned off. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. That's not right. And so I had to add some kind of essential income. And um, really, it's it's almost like uh, that needed to happen for me to realize that what I was doing was not enough for longevity. Like in running my own academy, there's no retirement. There's no health care. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like that. Well, now that I'm at the fire department, I've like tripled my income. We have health care. We have retirement. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, definitely it takes a lot out of me. I mean, it pulls me away from my family quite a bit. Um, but I should have been busting my tail that hard from the get go. You know, that's kind of how I feel. And, um, but the pool of people, like when I went to go test at spring, they, uh, they don't even have a written test. It's just a fitness exam. Mm -hmm. Their PAT test is so hard that if you can pass that PAT test, they'll teach you how to be a firefighter. Yeah. Like, Usually they, you know, like civil service cities like Waco, for instance, mm-hmm. that's a civil service department before they even shake your hand, get to meet you or see what physically you're capable of. You have to take a civil service test. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with firefighting. Absolutely nothing to do with firefighting. There's some math, reading comprehension type stuff in there. Um, but because of my age, I'm not even allowed to test at Waco. Right. I go on, now at Waco, there's plenty of firefighters still working, still yeah. doing their job at 50 into their sixties. Like I, 
it blows me away. I worked at AMR for a while and you work hand in hand with, you know, they first respond to all the medical calls, you know, yeah. the priority medical calls. And I'm looking at these firefighters. I'm like, this guy is my dad's age and I'm too old to be in the fire department. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I'm super fit. Yeah. You know? And so anyway, I show up to take my test in spring. It's a great city. They have awesome benefits. They pay really well. Um, it's a good department to work for. It's, the culture there is awesome. Uh, there were like 16 of us. And then of that, there were nine of us, I think, that passed the test. Mm -hmm. And eight of us like passed the interview and showed up for the first day. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. But that's, I mean, it worked out great. They needed eight. We yeah. got eight. There you go. Um, but... And their hiring process was great. I tested at Copper's Cove. I showed up. I was the only one there for the fitness test. Um, strange. Like why? Like why are there not people that see that as a viable career? You know, it's you look at going to Baylor. <clears throat> What's Baylor about fifty five thousand a semester nowadays? Uh, yeah, you know? something like sixty. So you're, yeah. you're knocking at the door of two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollars to oh, go to yeah. school there for four years. Yeah. Most of them go for five years. Quarter of a million at least. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, my fire and EMT training grand total. I'm out of pocket now. I, I have the GI bill, so that paid a lot of this. Yeah, but I still had to write the checks and get reimbursed. Uh, somebody can go through fire and EMS training, about six grand, and that would be everything. Yeah, and that's in. It took me a year. Yeah, you know, fire academies a little over four months, EMT schools a little over four months. Um. Like, why is that not more viable for people? You know, it's not promoted. Everybody thinks they're going to go to college. And then when they go to college, it's like their parents don't make them do an ROI on what they're doing. Yeah. You know, like if I was going to send a kid to Baylor, well, hold on. First off, what do you want to do when you get there? Okay. It's going to cost you this much to go to school there. How much is that job going to make you when you get done? Yeah. Do you have a job lined up after college? Yeah. You know, so many parents just put their kids there because that's where they went to school mm -hmm. or that's where their kids want to go. All their friends are going there or they like the environment or, yeah. you know, and yeah, if you're strange. going for, um, you know, if you're going for engineering or law or med school, for sure. Anything else? <laughs> don't do it. And it's not just college though. You know, with the, uh, this younger generation, it's, uh, it's, it's the, the promise of like fame and fortune from like, TikTok and and Instagram and all these things they just think they're gonna do it you know and it's like you won't man it's like you you gotta you gotta do those things without that idea in your head you just gotta do something because you enjoy doing it and then if and if people see that and they enjoy your content then you'll do something with it but there's so many they're like oh yeah this guy made a million last year on TikTok so I'm gonna do it too it's like well you're not that guy so it's 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 not how it works well it's like Mr Beast yeah. You could watch that and think, oh, well, I'll just put people in a contest for a lot of money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No. You got to back it up several years ago when Mr. Beast was a teenager. Yeah. And he was obsessed with how to market to people. Mm -hmm. And what makes a video go viral? Not just like, I want to be viral, but interested in how the algorithm worked. And then how could I take advantage of that? Or how could I use that to reach more people? And he was organically interested in that you yeah. know he had a passion for it you have to it's the same thing with jujitsu it's the same thing with uh guitar if you like imagine how ridiculous that would sound if somebody said i want to be famous let's see uh tyler childers that's a man that guy's killing it i'm gonna buy a guitar and go learn how to do that yeah 
Yeah, that's, that's uh, ridiculous. No, no, you you gotta you gotta buy a guitar and and do your your own thing. And if people like it, then you might get famous. But it's I, I think that there is um this this weird psychological thing with with a lot of people where they just you know they think because someone else did it they can do it, and that's you have to be interesting yourself for people to enjoy your yeah. content. You know, it's like. Yeah, I, I sometimes I see people on on you know YouTube, Twitch, things like that, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think this person's very interesting. But there there are 10 million people who do, so it doesn't matter what the fuck I think. You know, it's just like with anything else. If I do something, there could be a hundred people that I know personally. They're like, yeah, I don't really know. But if there's the people out there that like it, you know, it's just I think it's it's about finding a niche. You got to find something like uh, there's too many people that try to uh, uh, appeal to a broad audience because they're like. More people means more money, right? That's not how it works. You got to find a thing, you know, and chase that. But you have to do it organically, like genuinely, yeah. authentically. Yeah. You know, like um, <clears throat> something I heard one time. I don't remember where I heard it from, but I liked it. It was uh, if you read for an hour a day on one subject for seven years, every day for an hour, in seven years, you would be an international expert in that subject. Yeah. So if you read a book on geology every day, for seven years, for an hour, you'd be able to tour college campuses across America and give speeches. You would have that wealth of knowledge, yeah. right? But it's not just read. If you practiced piano an hour a day, every day for seven years, you would have access to skills and abilities. You know, like, it, it, that's kind of like how my guitar playing started. I was 14 when I got a guitar, and I... Uh, took lessons for about three months. And I remember this guy, phenomenal guitar instructor. He passed away a couple years ago, or last year, John DeFore. I forget how many students, but it was in the teens, uh, the number of students that he had that had Grammys. And he's in this small town, 5,000 people. Um, he focused a lot on promoting songwriting ability mm -hmm. right not just like uh, developing their skills as a guitar player which i went there and i was like yeah i want to learn how to play metallica he's like mm, okay well let's start with your scales and i was like boring okay <laughs> all right if that leads to metallica we'll do that yeah yeah and then uh he's like well you got to learn the blues and like here's lightning hopkins you know you've got to learn this you've got to learn albert king you know all this and i'm like okay Little did I know, like 15 years from the 14-year-old me, I'm obsessed with the blues, mm -hmm. obsessed with, you know, that that era, you know, and trying to attain those skills. Um, but so when I was 14 or so, he, he gave me this skill. Once I memorized my scales, he had me tear up these little pieces of paper, like A-flat, uh, C-sharp, you know, d G, you know, just every, every key. And I'd tear up these little pieces of paper, put them in a hat. F sharp. F sharp. It's right here. Okay. It's also the same as G flat. Okay. Got it. Play your major scale. Over and over and over again. I'd learn how to do triplets and, you know, over and over and over again, that scale. I was digging this rut and I would watch TV. And just play these scales. Then I'd go to the second hand positioning. I'd play these scales, play these scales, play these scales, whatever. 
didn't give it any value other than I could play this scale and sound like a professional at this scale. I had no <clears> idea how to make music or make that into music. And I would grab a Metallica song, a ZZ Top, a Rage Against the Machine, whatever what I wanted to play. And I would learn the tablature and I could recreate that song like as a cover song. But it was about, I was probably about 31, 30, something like that. And I've been a good, Billy, uh, Billy was a good friend of mine that uh, he was friends and in a band with a really good friend of mine from high school. And I sat down with him and he was like, wait, you know your scales, but you can't play this? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? They're two totally different things. He said, do me a favor, go home and memorize the whole notes on your top two strings. Okay. I could play my minor pentatonic scale, my eyes closed, jump and skip around in the key of E. And he's like, wait a minute, how come you can do that in E, but you can't do it everywhere else? And I was like, because I don't know what it looks like. And he would, and I came back the next day and he's like, okay, put your index finger on an A. I'm like, okay, boom, got it. It's like, okay, now play your E minor pentatonic scale. And I was like, wait a minute, now do it in G. Do it in C. And I could go up and down on these scales. I was like, oh, wait a minute. And in like <laughs> 10 minutes, I went from knowing a bunch of songs to playing music. And those scales that were implanted in my brain at 14 just came to life, you know? Um, but it was like, uh, what was the right way to put it? The time had already been spent, you know, uh, like memorizing. Like we were saying earlier, the people that just have the idea, I'm going to go copy what these people are doing. Yeah. You cannot replicate the amount of time that they spent woodshedding or fumbling around with this subject and like failing at it over and over and over again. It's like there are ways, there are people that are skilled and talented. They could learn things right off the bat, but anybody could spend enough time with something to where they've already failed all the possible failures. And the only thing left is to do it right. You know, anybody can do that. The problem is it looks like <clears throat> hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's really excited about that. Well, yeah. And, and someone will see someone, uh, you know, play a piano or sing and they're like, Oh, they're a natural talent. I'm like, no, it's not. You're, you're actually, you're kind of devaluing a little bit by telling them the natural talent because they've spent time. And, and it's like someone who can sing, Maybe they haven't had singing lessons, but, you know, they could have grew up with their parents playing, you know, whatever, Aretha Franklin or something. They just started belting that out. And then you see them singing. They're like, they're a natural talent. Like, no, they just it's like time and contact with something is is what that that comes from. You know, it's there's a lot of factors, skill, talent and luck. Yeah. yeah. Nobody really talks about luck. No, no, it's always in there. When but, people get successful, they never you know, like, oh no, I just grinded. Yeah, you you grinded, you did, and because you grinded, you're more open. Like luck is going to have a better time finding you because you have more time in contact. But yeah, I no, love, one, no one ever talks about. Do you know Post Malone's story? Uh, a little bit. Okay, I love Post Malone. <laughs> yes. So I, I I heard him one day, and I'm like, man, like I'd never heard him before, and I hear a couple of songs, I'm like, this guy's killing it. Yeah. I'm like, what is this guy? He's got something. What is going on? This guy's got an ear. Like, what is this? And then I went and researched his story a little bit. And he'd been obsessed with music since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm going to butcher the story, but along the lines of like, uh, he, I think White Iverson was the first one that he, he uploaded it to SoundCloud, went to sleep, woke up the next day with thousands of downloads. And it was something along the lines of like, uh, this is back in the era where Paris Hilton 
was DJing in Vegas. <laughs> and she played it at one of her events, and it just, poof. Yeah. And the luck of her like already having a following and then turning those ears towards that music. And then that blew up. And then there was the luck. I mean, on top of the time spent on top of the natural talent. Yeah. 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 Cause you know, it's like, had he uploaded it the night before or the night after, or if, if, if it wasn't showing up on a trending list or a new artist list. Or if he or, didn't use SoundCloud, he uploaded it to his YouTube channel yeah, or something. Yeah, there's, that there's so many variables that you, you <laughs> never know which one can just like, some famous person sees it. They, you know, they say on their Instagram, oh, look at this new person I found. You blow up, you know? And it's, it, it's crazy how that happens, you know? But I think uh, I, after the, the years of him being incredibly famous and he seems to still have that same personality Mm. i'm like yeah i kind of like this dude i've never seen you know it's there's always like someone who has a lot of uh presence and and media and you see a lot of interviews with them there's always that those people that at some point they slip and you see the real them like oh that guy's a dick you know but i've never once seen him talk to anyone and be an asshole at all you know yeah and people will just catch him randomly like doing something out in public and he's like can you do an interview and he's like yeah <laughs> just drinking his you know coors light or whatever he drinks but uh i saw that cover he did recently um i don't know when he did it but i just recently saw it that was the um pearl jam um uh what is it called um Take my baby. Da, 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 da. Oh, he's playing at the back of the tour bus. Oh, it was a it was a cover. It, uh, Pearl Jam. It was an old like yeah. doo wop cover that Pearl Jam did, and they and Pearl Jam obviously made it sound oh, much more sad than the original. Yeah. But then he's singing like, damn, he's. I mean, he sounds not like Eddie Vedder, but he had he had those Eddie Vedder like vibrato qualities. Well, the passion you know? was there for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was something too that. Uh, about the time I'd like uh, listened to a couple of Post Malone's albums and gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, well, that's his music. I got it. That's his thing. And I'm kind of bored. Not necessarily like bored with him, but I've, I, what I typically do is I find an album and I wear it out and I'll listen to it for a month. And then after that, I go put it up on yeah, the show. Yeah. I go listen to something else. Um, but about the time I'd been listening to Post Malone for a couple of months, I was like, okay, okay, I'll set that aside. Now I'm going to go look for somebody new to listen to. Then he does a Sturgill Simpson cover. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, dude, he's my favorite all over again. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, the, the, Dwight, then, the Dwight Yoakam stuff he did. Oh, was, I don't think I've heard it. Oh, dude. He, oh, Dwight's one of my favorites. Yeah, I, he, I love he, that. Yeah, he, I'm going to get on that. He did a, like a Nirvana live session where that. everyone was wearing dresses and yes. shit. Like, I was like, dude, he just does everything. You know? Well, and it'd be real easy for a musician to go, oh, that's going to mess with my image. Mm-hmm. And that's where that genuine nature comes in. When you're authentic about it, you don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks. You're yeah. just going to do what you want to do. You yeah. Know? And then, you know, I was, uh, when I saw the Nirvana thing, I was, uh, I was teaching at La Vega and then it seemed like I, a lot more kids wearing Nirvana shirts. I'm like, you guys don't know who Nirvana is, <laughs> but that's when you need to start printing a bunch of those shirts. I, I saw a few videos that it's, uh, it's Nirvana logo at the top, and then it's Hanson on the front. <laughs> and they, they, people were trolling their teenagers and getting them these shirts. Yeah, like, oh, this is a cool band shirt from the 90s. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of those uh, videos where some, some kid goes through his like, metalhead dad's closet and finds a Slayer shirt, and he's like, Dad, can I wear this? I'm like, don't you fucking touch yeah. that. 
Name three songs. Yeah. Name three songs and then I will allow it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like to do that to, to random people, you know, but um, if it's my kid, I'm going to be like, no, son, you're going to be genuine. If you're wearing one of my old shirts, yeah, you're going to know right. who the fuck it is. So, so that if someone does quiz you, you know, you got it. But uh, yeah, man, it's um, it's funny with, with, with Post Malone because – as far as the the you know the hip hop side of it, you know I've heard s- several of his songs, obviously because they're so popular. But I never like sought out his albums. But I would just see interviews with him. I'm like, that's yeah, cool, dude. I'm not gonna hate on that, you know. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, oh, it gets into me. I mean, it's like not really part of my personality, but it's like it was trying to creep into my personality. Like, ooh, <laughs> some of these songs, I'm like, man, I want. I want racks and stacks. <laughs> yeah, so no shit. Like, I want to floss a little bit. That sounds pretty good. People. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is there um, anyone else uh, recently that you, you've heard that just really, you were like, damn. Musically, I don't know anything about their personality. I've been real big into Midland lately. Okay. Yeah. Those guys are from Austin, right? I don't know where they're from. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think they're from Austin. So essentially what I like about them is I close my eyes and it's like, country heyday of the 90s mm. but they're playing new stuff and right. they're singing about texas that's a good way to get my attention the band <laughs> yeah. starts singing about texas like, yeah you know but um man i really like what they're putting out it's like uh yeah it's really good i i've never heard them admittedly i i know who they are uh because i've seen um i i know a guy that uh he bartends and manages uh the white horse in Austin, I think mm. I think it's called the white horse anyway. Uh, and, and I've seen that they've, they've played there and stuff, but I haven't actually listened to him yet. But, um, have you heard Charlie Crockett? He's one that I've really gotten into lately. He's, uh, it's like old timey country, like mm. old timey country that he plays and he dresses up. I mean, he looks like Hank senior Modern back in the guy. day with all the white suit with the, the white hat. Yeah. And he's, he's, uh, He's brand new. I mean, he he used to um, he used to just kind of play on the street, you know, and like uh, in uh, Louisiana and like San Antonio and stuff. He was just busking out there, and then he uh, he he hit a sound that just some kind of old timey, like almost like a Western Gothic sort of sound, but like not not like not like cringe, dark, you know, like edgy, you know, dark, but like that country sound that where he was talking about some, you know, kind of sad dark tales and stuff, but, uh, he's really good. And he's uh, apparently a descendant of Davy Crockett. So <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's something, but, uh, what about yeah. Coulter wall. You listen to him. Oh yeah, dude. dude. We, um, it's good. We, we, so we go to Arkansas, um, the, the past three years, we've made it an annual trip and we stay in a cabin, um, right outside of, uh, hot springs mm-hmm. and that's like we listen to coulter wall on the way there every that's our thing now is we, we listen to him on the way yeah i listen to um i listen to a lot of joe rogan's podcasts and uh he was uh talking about trying to get get him on the podcast but he's a rancher full yeah he's time, like you know? i'm sorry like six months out of the year he's herding cattle <laughs> yeah yeah it's then, fucking you get more points for that i you know? know dude i don't and, care if he doesn't put out as many albums you get like, bonus points who, for like walking the walk yeah who who is this guy you but know? it's you know it's probably something along the lines i could only imagine that he ranches and at the end of the day when he's tired he sits out on the porch and plucks around and yeah you know Sings has the b- time to write new material and yeah you know? i mean he's like I, i've seen this youtube video it's like 
the dark magic of Coulter Walls. Because <laughs> it's just like, he like came out of nowhere and then he just like blew up in the, you know, kind of country western scene or whatever. And um, he had that, uh, so one song on that, it was his first album. Um, I don't remember the name of the album. Do you know? I never remember album names. I'm, I'm terrible with album names and songs, but it's the one that has uh, um, the devil, um, the devil, Cadillac. The devil wears a suit and tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That album, um, which I think was his first like big release, but there's another one on there where it start. It's like a this starts with this like southern hymn kind of thing. And it's uh, those guys that are, <laughs> I can't remember their fucking name either, but it's uh, um, some guys from Kentucky or something that have, it's like a three piece and uh, they have a really big song. <laughs> Dude, it's, uh, uh, this is awful. I can't remember uh, their name. But when that, that Southern hymn, he, when he sings the beginning of it, I'm like, but who's that in the background? I recognize those voices. And it was them, but it's funny because they're like, he he that album is is got this like this real like southern almost like kind of dixie feel to it or whatever mm-hmm. but he's from fucking canada you know <laughs> so it's like and it's like, the album's called oh it's i think it's called imaginary appalachia is the name of the album but he's from canada it's yeah. it's wild but yeah he's a real deal man he's a bona fide cowboy it's uh well, that's voice. part of it. You have to go up to Canada to do a lot of that ranching and stuff now. I mean, yeah. the, him doing it the old school way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a kind of um, the southern U.S. too, I would say. You know, like Montana, the Dakotas and stuff. It's probably like across from where he yeah. ranches in that same area. But Lonesome Dove territory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I love Coulter Wall. Uh, Tyler Childers. Um his his new album is pretty cool. It's like there's like three versions of each song. Oh, I'll check it out. Yeah, I've been listening to his essential albums the last couple of weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. No, uh, he's one that like uh, I heard of him, heard a couple of his songs, but like I said, I pick an artist and I dig into him for yeah. a while, and I just started getting into him. Um, but he's been big for a minute now. Oh yeah, and it was so I was listening to um, a lot of Sturgill, and I'd heard. I'd heard Tyler, but then um, we saw uh, Sergio was going to do a tour, like right right when the pandemic started, and Tyler was going to support him on the tour, and we were like, "Fuck, we got to go to that man!" And then they canceled it, and then I guess Sturgill's like, "I don't need to tour ever again," <laughs> so he's just done. But uh, Tyler Childers is uh, is going to be touring next year, the beginning of next year, and uh, I tried to get tickets. But they sold out, and then the resellers are selling the tickets for like five hundred dollars a piece. I'm like, dude, that's I I hate that shit so much, oh, man. Yeah. Dude, my buddy told me about the uh, Pantera. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. they've got Zach Wild playing yep. guitar for Pantera, and uh, I've heard a couple of their licks. And man, you could not ask for a better person to step in, you know. And I was thinking, oh man. This could be the only chance. I never got to see them play live before. <laughs> I didn't either, man. They're playing with Metallica. Yeah. And they're doing a gig in August in Dallas. And it's like a Saturday, Sunday. And I think Pantera's playing on like the Saturday. It's like 600 bucks for the weekend. Yeah. Metallica's playing a different set. On different each set day. each each set of the... Yeah, yeah I saw that. Like, man, 600 bucks is a big ask and it's not going to be good seats. Sorry, <laughs> no, man. shitty seats. I had, I had a chance to see Pantera one time, and uh, but I was you know 
15, I think. And, uh, my mom would not let me go with my friends cause she thought they were, uh, little hooligans. They were, but, yeah. <laughs> but she wouldn't she let me go. It. They were a little bit older. You know, there was one of them was, or two of them were 18, but, uh, they were going to drive and everything. She was like, nah, but then the next year she let me go see Metallica. I'm like, okay, but that, no, that was, it was fucking awesome. But damn, now, now I can never see, you know, the yeah. real Pantera yeah. again, but I can see Metallica, you know, cause they're going to, they're going to play until they're old men, yeah. you know? So, but yeah, yeah, man, it's, that was, that was one regret of my, my young life is that I didn't get to see Pantera as, uh, the original, you know, lineup. Yeah. Probably ZZ Top would be mine that I think I'd never be able to see them play. Oh together, yeah. Yeah. Know? I would have loved to see ZZ Top they too, man. For so long. No excuse. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's like, um, I was, uh, I, I talked to this lady the other day. She, I don't remember what it was, but she brought up, uh, uh, she said something about Getty Lee. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she was like, oh, you know, he plays in this band called Rush. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know who Rush is. And she was like, oh, okay, well, you know, you're, you're kind of younger. I didn't know if you knew. I'm like, yeah. And it's like, if you don't know who Rush is, then you don't listen to rock and roll, yeah. you know. But um, she she told me how she went and saw Rush live uh, a couple times and this and that. And I was like, hey, did you ever see Zeppelin? And she just like, her face just dropped. Because she told me about all these different shows she went to. And she didn't mention Zeppelin. Did you see Zeppelin? And she's like, so we didn't. I never got to see him. I always missed tickets and all this stuff. Couldn't get rides. And we finally got tickets to see them. And it was the fucking tour that John Bonham died. And then they obviously canceled the rest of the tour. I was like, dude, that is the biggest bummer concert story I've ever heard. (laughs) Because you finally get to see them. And then one of the greatest drummers of all time fucking dies. Man, that's, that's a bummer. You feel like maybe that's maybe it's you, you know. You finally like <laughs> some just, things were not meant to be. Yeah. The, the, the guys are like, mm, no, no. She, hey, she, she wasn't supposed to get those tickets. You were supposed to gatekeep her. So we're gonna have to do something about this. And then the worst thing happens. Man, that's just the thunder. That and you know that's um, that was kind of one of the things that uh, that made me want to do this is like. I like, as far as musicians go and, and any other art form, I like to hear like the, the, how they were created. You know, I, I love the creation itself, but it's like how it was done, you know? And I like, I had, you know, seen documentaries where they talked about like John Bonham, like he would smash the drum so hard that they had to put him like in the basement, you know, and then record from the top of the stairwell. Yeah. Like that's, those are the stories I like to hear, man. That's because you heard it might get loud. I don't think so. Oh, man. There's a killer documentary called It Might Get Loud. It's Jack White, White Stripes. Okay. Edge from U2, Jimmy Page. Oh. It's phenomenal. It's, I don't know, It's they spend probably 30 to 45 minutes zoning in on each one, their origins, everything like that. And we were talking about luck. You know why Jimmy Page picked up a guitar? <laughs> When he was eight years old, his family moved into a new house. Mm. And when they moved into that new house, the old family had just happened to leave a guitar in the corner. God bless that and family. And that made Jimmy Page, <laughs> you know, like that, that like planted the seed. And then he started picking around with some friends in the neighborhood. And then they made a band. He's in a band by the time he's 14. And then boom, 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 boom. Yeah. You know, and they kind of, he walks them through that story. And um, it's, 
the documentary is phenomenal because they're sitting in there and he starts playing like cashmere or he starts playing, you know, like when the levee breaks and Jack White and the Edge are like, <laughs> they're like not blinking, yeah. you know, like, like trying to sponge any kind of, yeah. you know, muse off of him that they could. And it was, it's a good documentary. Oh yeah. I, Jack I mean, White's got a really good story. The oh, Edge yeah. and, you know, that's, that's pretty neat too. I've never really been a big YouTube fan, but I think it's neat because they're like, um, they those three artists particularly show a big spectrum of what guitar could be. Yeah, you take somebody like like the Edge that's that he's like uh, his what would be the right way to put it his like impressiveness if that's the right way to put it um, his aura comes through in the electronics. It's almost like the guitar right. playing that he does is so rudimentary. I mean, it's he's all his de- delay and shit like right. that. He's skilled yeah. beyond you know anything I have. What I'm saying is that like he creates the foundation with his guitar, very rudimentary, fundamental stuff, and then puts it into another universe mm-hmm. with his effects that he has in place. And then, and then you take Jack White, and he's like. Uh, I like to buy one that's from an old Sears and Roebuck catalog and yeah. fight with it a little bit. And yeah. like, it, it's kind of out of tune and you got to struggle to like make yeah. it, make the right sound. And, and, you know, and Jimmy Page is, you know, he's phenomenally skilled, oh, you know, yeah. and he's, he's kind of like in between the two, you know, you definitely, there's a sound to Led Zeppelin and then there's his skills, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a really good documentary. Yeah. I'll just check that out. That's, that's like, being in the room with with the god of rock and roll, you know, uh, I love Jack White too. I, yeah. I like the rock and tours, and I like his everything solo work he does. And, oh, yeah. I saw the Dead Weather play. Yeah, dude, I was from like here to the wall, like 10, 15 feet away, and yeah. it was at Stubbs Barbecue in Austin. So it's yeah, I was up against the stage. They're right there. Like, That's wow. awesome. That was uh, that was good. Yeah, man, I remember all those shows at Stubbs. I loved that. I loved going there. I haven't been. I mean, the subs and I saw CKY there, and um, well, more recently, I don't know some metal bands, or whatever. But you know, the White Stripes is uh, is part of what got um, uh, Rudy into uh, drumming because he would it, it was uh, Seven Nation Army, yeah. of course, and he would hear it, and I'd, he would be in the back of the car just like patting along with it and stuff, and and uh, and so we I at that point I was like, man, I need to put more songs on my playlist that are really like percussion heavy, you know, that but but fairly simple. And he likes, you know, Queen, We Will Rock You, shit like that, you know. Um, so I got him, I just got him some sticks. And we, I just started teaching him, you know, the rudimentary stuff, things like that. And then I was like, if you if you stick with this and we do this every single day and you can do certain patterns for me, then I'll get you a drum set. Yeah. And, and he stuck with it. And he's he's uh, he's getting really good with the time. I put the metronome on and it's, it's you know, it's rough, you yeah. know. It's like everyone also, especially when you're a kid, you always want to rush the metronome, you know. Well, and that's wanna... coloring within the lines. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's everything not a yeah. kid is yeah, coloring wanna... in the lines. Like, faster, faster. I'm like, no, you got to <laughs> slow down. So it's it's really teaching him um, patience a lot, you yeah. know. Cause like, no, you got to you gotta listen to it. You got to go with it. And it's about teaching him that he's got to, you know, He's got to, you don't want to just smash the drums, but you got to, you got to play with purpose. You know, you can't just, you can't just, you know, limp wrist, you know, this or whatever. I'm like, dude, you got to, you know, play. That's, it helps you stay on time to just know, to, to be in it and just, you know, it helps a lot. But, um, yeah, I'd like to thank Jack White and, uh, the White Stripes for <laughs> getting my son into percussion. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I would say, what is it called again? 
It might get loud. It might get loud. Okay. Oh, it's so good. The opening sequence, Jack White, he's like a, it's like his farm, right? He's on this farm in Michigan and there's cows moving in the background and he's got a cigarette hanging on his lip and he's banging nails into a wooden board. He bangs a nail on this side. I'm I'm, I'm describing it in real time. Yeah, it takes yeah. him a minute and a half to do this. There's a nail on this side, nail on that side. Takes a Coke bottle. Puts it over here, ties a guitar string on this side and on this side, winds that Coke bottle so it puts some tension. Then he takes a guitar pickup, a little carpenter nail, like a finishing nail. You know, just, then he uh, grabs the port, solders it on real quick, like real quick. Yeah. And then he he like freaking goes, grabs a slide, like just starts going <laughs> after it. He's like, who says you need a guitar? Yeah. You know, who yeah. says you need money to go buy a guitar? And he's playing, like he's playing jack white caliber tunes yeah you know and like in the few seconds like he put zero attention into it other than it needs a string it's got to have a pickup you got to be able to plug it in he's got him a little small 20 watt amp or whatever it is over there and yeah it goes to town a glass coca-cola bottle yeah you know <laughs> yeah man shit. if you got a cigar box you know <laughs> just some things like that you can figure it out yeah, yeah that's that's yeah, cool no excuse yeah i'm gonna have to listen to that i or watch that i uh that that lady I told you I was talking to the other day she she told me about um, a Led Zeppelin documentary that I'd never seen the song remains the same I was like dang I need to check that out too I got to make it, start making a list for these Have you heard of the Wrecking Crew Oh yeah I okay. love that one That's yeah, phenomenal yeah. yeah I actually saw um, uh, what's her name Carol Kay the the bassist mm-hmm. I saw a video where she was like uh, she was showing um, it was her and Gene Simmons <laughs> I guess and she was like teaching him a pretty rudimentary baseline and he kept fucking it up. And she was like, I mean, she was like laying into him. She's like, (laughs) no gene like this. You got to stay on time. You got to do this. And I was like, yeah, get him. (laughs) Cause I, I hate kiss so much. And, and you talked about edge from you too. I hate you too. Also. Yeah. I'm not a fan. It's like, it's one of those things where like if kiss or you two came on the radio, and I changed the station, and the next station had either of those, I would probably punch the radio. Yeah, that's at how least much. it's turned off at a minimum. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about them. But uh, um, especially, I, I, I actually, I think if I had to rank them, I'd probably hate Kiss more. Um, just because I don't like Gene Simmons. I don't like his, his personality or anything. But And they... they they commercialized music so yeah. goddamn much. I'm like, dude, I, I, I get it. And, you, you know, you have some songs that a lot of people like, but, you know, they were the first ones that were like, let's sell some dolls. Let's have action figures. Let's, Fox, let's, let's, have the, yeah. dude, like, I always chill thought, out. I always thought that their image didn't match the music. Oh, yeah. If they wore jeans and a T-shirt, I'd enjoy their music a lot more. Yeah. But they dressed like I should hear Slayer yeah. or... You know, like Iron Maiden type tunes coming out of them. Yeah. If they dressed like that and played Judas Priest style like that, yeah, yeah. The the early invention of heavy metal, like, yeah, um, it would fit. It would yeah. be on point. It, but th- it's off brand. Yeah, the, their music would have would have fit more with like the image of Rob Halford or something. Mm. You know, just kind of rock and roll look or whatever. But John yeah. Fogarty type. You know, like <laughs> Bruce Springsteen type. They're yeah, just but they just classic. You know, but yeah. Yeah, but they were like, yeah, this is rock and roll. This will sell, but we need to have some edge to our look to sell more. You know, we got to get hit, hit the young crowd, you know, cause all the parents are like, what, what are you doing? I don't understand. 
And it's even one of those things where like when I was younger and I was into like some of the edgier stuff and people doing outlandish stage antics and things like that. I would look at Kiss and be like, but why? <laughs> I don't understand. It's also back in the era where you couldn't watch them on TV. Yeah. It's not, I mean, like, yeah. maybe once in a while. But, yeah, that's back when you'd have to be live in concert to see how wild And I guess that that's why it was, you know, because it, that probably sold concert tickets. Because mm. someone would go see them and then they'd tell their friends, you should have seen this shit, you know? <laughs> their friends His show. tongue was this long. <laughs> yeah, it's just like they got this paint and the big hair and they're wearing these space outfits and shit like that. It's just funny because, you know, as uh, being – viewed as an old person now to a lot of people they'd be like ah it's just because it's different you know i can like no but i'm telling you when i was 12 years old and starting to get edgy as fuck i was like i don't understand <laughs> you know because <laughs> i listen to like ghost now and the, you know it's like he's all dressed up in his like you know uh pope outfit and yeah. face paint and i'm like yeah but it goes with the music 100 percent, you know so it makes sense i don't I don't give a shit what someone wears or doesn't wear when they're playing live. You know, it doesn't affect how I, you know, yeah. view them or whatever. But maybe Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, like, yeah, I don't want to see your dick. But. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes the sock falls off. I don't want to see. Um, yeah, man. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, I. It's funny you have this uh, this 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 wide intersection, you know, between martial arts and then like, you know, being a guitar player and being so much into music and everything. And I think um, a lot of time for a lot of people, it's probably one or the other, you know, maybe or there's just like extreme one way and then a little bit into these different things. But you know, it's like I think there's maybe a lot of people who are um, big martial arts people who I could talk to. And if I talked about music, it would, you know, kind of glaze over maybe a little bit, but and the other way around, whereas like some people were like deep into music. I like, you know, talk to him about, Oh, have you seen the, you know, the studio over there? And have you, have you gone and gotten choked? His first, first, first choke is free, you know? And they're like, no, I don't care about that. You know, it's like, <laughs> this is a big kind of difference there. So how does it happen? What's the draw? Like those two specifically with jujitsu or the martial arts and music. Okay. So because, sorry, I don't want to cut off your train in there, but your train of thought, but I think a lot of people might say, you know, cause this is a very art focused podcast. So my, the direction it's going and some people might say, well, why do you have a jujitsu guy in there? I'm like, but it's martial arts, right? You know, it's like, but, but I think some people maybe needed to explain to them why yes. it's an art, you know? So what makes something an art? I think is self-expression, right? I could express myself by building a piece of furniture, right? Yep. I could express myself if I was a clothing designer by making a jacket or something, you know. I could express myself with guitar by bending or holding a note to the length that I like, you know. With jujitsu, I express myself by saying, I've practiced so much that this is the way I think it should be done if you don't like it. Prove me wrong. With jujitsu, the way that we spar with each other, it's kind of like chess. A lot of people make a chess analogy where it's like you do a move and then I do a move and then you do a move. But there's a certain point where chess masters are able to like see moves ahead mm -hmm. and see, well, they're going to do this and I'll do these things. But if they did that instead, I'll do these things. That's how jujitsu becomes. 
most practitioners within like four, five, six years of training or about like a purple belt level can like see between the lines and, you know, maybe we have these specific positions that we practice, but playing the in-betweens becomes really important when you're in that purple belt level yeah. and higher, you know? And, uh, so it's, it's like objective, but subjectively objective. Like the moves oh, are objective. I just crossed those definitions in my brain. <laughs> so like... You, and, it's and, objective in the fact that it is very detail-oriented. Well, and, and, and like... subjective in the sense that how I choose to use those details. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. It's like, so uh, someone can say armbar, and they're like, okay, and yeah, it's an armbar. It pops up. They know exactly what that is. They okay. say a rear naked choke, a heel hook, something like that. But there's like, the subjective part is how you apply those things yes. personally. So, objectively, my favorite technique that I'm obsessed with lately. Like I've been practicing this technique for four or five years, but like the last two years I've been obsessed with it and it's called the crucifix position. And from that position, that's when I get on somebody's back and I isolate one arm with one hand and I use my legs to isolate. Look, I'm already there. I use my (laughs) legs to isolate their other arm. So their head's sitting right here and I get a free arm to choke their neck and they're stuck without a hand. It's the most dominant position I've ever had in jiu-jitsu. I've ever accomplished. Yeah. I'm obsessed with it. Now, there's two or three very obvious ways to get there. But when I shake hands with somebody, we're in a very neutral position. We're just standing there. My gears start turning. How can I fabricate a new way to get there? So to make an art analogy, Jimi Hendrix once said in an interview He never likes to play the same song the same way twice. Mm -hmm. He's always going to make it live in the moment and play something that's like channeled through him. And yes, you're listening to Voodoo Child played again, but he's going to hold notes longer. He's going to put more distortion on a certain piece or whatever. It's the same thing here. There's this piece where when I'm sparring, I'm troubleshooting and calculating. How do I get behind them and catch this arm or especially my students. I train with the same people day after day after day. They know what I'm going to do to them. Mm -hmm. They know I'm going to get there somehow and they haven't figured it out yet. Mm -hmm. And I love that. It's my favorite (laughs) piece. Like I was sparring just yesterday. I sparred with one of my students, Jason Fletcher. What's up? Uh, He's a cool dude. He's a calculus teacher for harmony. Okay. And uh, I think even now, I mean, he also, he teaches teaching pedagogy to the other teachers as well okay. he's a big piece of that helping teachers build their lesson mm-hmm. planners things like that but he's a part of our 6 a.m crew we have a 6 a we have class at 6 a.m noon and 6 p.m monday through friday uh but our 6 a.m crew is very consistent it's a small it's a crew of people that are there every day at six monday through friday about 10 or 15 of them that are there and i don't get to get to that class that often uh, when I do, you know, I always try to make it a point to train with a couple of the regulars that have been with me for a long time. And I rolled with Jason for the first time yesterday in months. And he put me in a crucifix. And I was like, oh, <laughs> well played, sir. Now I must escape it. Yeah. And to me, like, it's almost like I want to touch base in a bad, dangerous position and then work myself out of that and then back to the. Yeah. So I put him in a crucifix. Like, he put me in the position, I was able to escape it. And then as I escaped it, he's like, darn, you got, like I caught his arm right away. And then I had to do it in a, there was a way to catch it that he knew I was going to try to set it up. So I had to kind of go around a back door way. Yeah. And I pulled it off in a unique way that he hadn't seen before. And I was like, oh, check. 
okay, good. <laughs> now I'm happy. You know, it's yeah. like this special. It's almost like if you hit a good note mm-hmm. or if you're, you know, playing a live set, you know, and you finish that set, there's like a special satisfaction when I played the other day for a group for a live open mic. And it was at a restaurant and I had a small group of friends that were there to see me or they were there for the live music. And then right in front, there were two parties of about 20 people, two different tables, unrelated birthday parties, little kids, birthday party, grandma's birthday party. They had no idea there was going to be live music there. Mm -hmm. The whole time I'm playing, there's a guy, it's one of the dads that was in the, the grandma's birthday party. So this guy in his forties, fifties, Watching me play bothered that they showed up on live mic. So it, to me, it was like, oh, this is what a comedian feels like when they're bombing. Yeah, yeah. And I played anyway. I played louder. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to lay into it. Like, there's a certain part of me, like, I, I, I kind of don't pay attention to what they're doing. I'm trying to focus on what I'm doing. And I'll kind of, like, have these glimpses where I, like, look up and, like, check in on the audience to mm-hmm. see. And every time I look up and it got to where I'm, like, watching this guy. And then... it. It just bothered me for a minute. And then I decided, you know what? I'm just going to play. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do my thing to the best of my abilities. Mm -hmm. Who cares if that guy likes it? My friends over here, we sat down and talked for 30 minutes about what they liked, didn't like, what they, you know, thought was neat, you know. And so that made it worth it. Yeah. But it's kind of to bring it all back to what we were saying earlier about like a Post Malone or whatever. It shows when you're not being genuine. It shows when you're not being authentic. And so that's the important piece is to always try to like make sure you're doing that. I'm... And jujitsu, I'm authentically, I want to make my students get the quality of life that I get out of jujitsu. I get an improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that uh, I want to give my students access to that. Yeah, know? yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> that guy you're talking about, it reminded me of, uh, we went to a comedy show at the uh, the Vulcan in Austin this weekend. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, this this one guy... I mean, I thought he was funny every now and then, but there was this lady in the front row. I, every now and then, I would just like glance over, and she was not fucking amused <laughs> at this guy. And he kept looking. I saw him like he kept looking at her, and I'm like, dude, I wonder, I wonder how much that like that bothers people, you know, like entertainers, because I've been there playing music too. But you know, I, it's I think it's a little different because with music, well. I never did any kind of open mic or anything. It was always like shows that were planned. We had flyers made, people showed up or whatever, uh, willingly to a concert. They weren't doing something else and just happened to be there. So usually people have a pretty good time, but every now and then you catch that guy that's, you know, just, <laughs> just like arms crossed, just like looking at you. Oh, you suck at guitar. I should be up there. You know, like whatever. But for comedy, it seemed like such a weird thing because you're just like talking to people. And if someone doesn't like what you're saying, they're just like, you're not I don't funny. like what you think. <laughs> yeah. Not, I, I don't appreciate you and your personality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so <laughs> it, it was funny because she uh, she laughed uh, quite a bit at some some of the other comedians. I I would say, you know, from my point of view, all the other comedians were funnier than this guy. But um, he came right up and he just he made a joke about women. He was like something about being, you know. He was like, I could be a woman or I could be funny. <laughs> and, and from then on, she was like, I'm fucking done with this guy. <laughs> and I was like, I think that's what it was. That was the catalyst. And it's, it, it's, it's got to be weird for comedians, you know. And I think, I think a lot of them, especially the younger ones, they do have that, that affects them, you know. Because then, like, he started, like, he was trying to talk to her. Like, he was trying to make jokes with her and stuff. And she was not having it. And, and I think it, that, that 
ends up you know putting a, a damper on your performance because then instead of doing what you're going to do and pleasing the entire audience you're like you get so hyper focused on this one person who's not pleased with your performance where you just got to like just forget about it you know just make that a blurry image right here and or and, go ham and be prepared <laughs> to chew that person up and spit them out yeah because the last time we went to Vulcan for a secret show there was a guy who did that where someone was not amused and he fucking laid into him and that was like the rest of his performance i mean this dude was hardcore too i mean it, i was like dude i'm glad i'm not that guy in the audience but but yeah everyone wanted uh, to go to the vulcan uh i love kill tony oh yeah 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 uh, that's what they say that their tickets sell out immediately oh so yeah i yeah. even bothered to try to look at them but yeah um, we the the first one we went well so the first show we went to was specifically for duncan trussell yeah and then the second show we went to a secret show which was all the people from kill tony who got invited by um red band and uh and it was good but it was a marathon it was it was two and a half hour no eight uh, yeah it was like three hours of comedy and it was like you know 20 different performers at the end i was like fuck man and they put the shitty ones in the last three so i'm just like please just let us go and uh but one of the guys he recognized that and he was like man they're putting you guys through some torture right now aren't they you know it's like they have me coming last so I, I'm, I apologize but i'm still gonna do my bit you know but um yeah this last time was was sort of like a secret show it was a different like production company that put it on but uh i just i really like the vulcan because they do the yonder bags so you have to put your phone away and you don't have the random asshole like recording a performance or taking pictures or doing whatever I wish more people would do it more like venues would do that for music too. You know, I need to get some of those for my house. Yeah. <laughs> I need one big enough. My seven year old has an Oculus. Yeah. Somebody, uh, his grandmother got him an Oculus for, I guess it was birthday this year. Dang. And, and I was sitting there going like, man, I didn't want one of those. <laughs> and, and like, so I'm like, I'm trying to make sure I'm not just a jealous hater, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't want any issues with that Oculus or you're getting grounded from it yeah. right away because <laughs> that's not fair. Yeah. But um, I need a yonder bag big enough to put in an Oculus. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's check off a few chore items first <laughs> and then I'll unlock this thing for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are, I, I'm, I'm glad they did it. Uh, and there's um, yeah, more, more, I think venue should do it too. I think it's harder for the stadium shows, Yeah. but you know, like I saw um, tool earlier this year and, they didn't do the underbags, but it's like well known. If you go to a tool show, don't pull your fucking phone out, you yeah. know, and because they have signs everywhere. It's like the if you pull them out, they'll they'll just kick you out if they see you on your phone. But um, I sometimes I'd rather not just rely on people to be good people and just do the right thing, you know, just fucking take it away. Just yeah. do the underbags. I left mine in the car. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I would definitely recommend Vulcan. It's a cool venue, and uh, yeah, we've looked at Kill Tony shows, but it's. Yeah, he's gotten so big now, man. It's and the comedy scene in Austin's gotten so big. It's just Joe Rogan's supposed to open his mothership next month. Yeah, yeah, that would. They're supposed to. He's, he said he's going to set it up like the comedy store where there's two or three rooms. different types of rooms. Yeah. At the same event, and then there'll also be like a large theater that could seat a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to um, uh, the hyena. I think in uh, Fort Worth and it's, it seems like it's like kind of a franchise thing. There's several of them around Texas, 
but it looked like just from what I've never seen the comedy, like in, been in the comedy store, but from what I knew about the, the room layouts, it looked like hyenas was trying to just like do that exactly. Mm-hmm. Were, Cause we saw <laughs> Duncan again up there. He ended up being on the secret show too. So we've seen Duncan Trussell three times this year unintentionally, but uh, well, two of them were intentionally the secret show. We didn't know, but the one in hyenas, William Montgomery opened for him. <laughs> Oh, that dude's a nut. He, dude, he's it, an absolute nut. He, he had I like can a, imagine what it'd be like to be the guy that, like, I don't know, just has to, like, outside of that environment, he's got to go to a coffee shop or oh, something. Yeah. Just the people that have to interact with him on a regular basis. Yeah, so yeah. yeah he's, Looney Tune. Dude, and, and it's like from, you know, Kill Tony, you just see a minute of his whatever material, and then he just, like, him and Tony just kind of, like, bantering each other, right? But, like... I mean, he did like 20 minutes of material and it was, dude, I would say that it was probably the funniest 20 minutes of comedy I've ever seen. Like it was, I was dying and we were in the front row too. And he was just like, he gets wild up there. But, um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I'd like to go to the Rogan's venue when he opens it, but it's going to be so packed all the time. I mean, I saw Rogan in 2014 and I couldn't imagine seeing him now. It's so hard to get tickets for anything, you know? But, uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say earlier. That's kind of actually a couple of the guests on Rogan is what inspired this. There's Rick Rubin episode. And then the, the Maynard, well, it was like the latest Maynard Keenan one, which was like his fourth or fifth time on, but Rick Rubin, he was talking about stuff and I was like, yeah, man, that's, that's the, that's the part of art that I enjoy is the creation. Like what people, what makes people create, you know, and. And what inspires and influences and things like that. So, Gosh, what's his name? I'm I'm drawing a blank on the. It's the author of the War of Art. Have you read Stephen the War of Art? Pressfield is that his name? Oh. Have you read the War of Art? Uh, listen, yeah, Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. Um, I've listened to it audio, audio book. Oh. Well, I I actually got this just for you. Yeah. So this is this is That's too awesome. This is my thing for the show at the kind of at, at the, the tail end of each show. I want to give each person a book. I love books. I read a lot. So I want um, and I love this one. My copy is actually over there. Uh, those are like my personal favorites. But yeah, I love Stephen Pressfield. Man, that's awesome. And his that's episode, his last episode was great. But I read uh, his book, The Afghan Campaign, like 20 years ago. And I was like, dude, this guy is good. And uh, and he has the Hot Gates, which is like the 300 story, with Thermopylae and everything. Okay, he mentioned yeah. that. Oh yeah, he's. I've I've read a lot of Pressfield. I have. I just got his um, one of his other ones over there. Do the work. Hmm. I have the, I have the audio book of it, but I oh, want to get some good ones up there. Oh yeah, Empire of the Summer Moon. Oh dude, that I I'm just lazy. Read... I do a lot of Audible, <laughs> but oh they're there. Uh, it's mainly because um. I travel. Yeah. So like I work in spring, it takes me about two and a half to three hours to get oh, to work perfect. and come yeah. back. So, and I'll kill a podcast on the way there. Listen to a book on the way back. Yeah. Um, if I traveled more, I would definitely do that. But, yeah. uh, and, and I don't, I don't read as much as I'd like to nowadays, but I'd really, really try to, I mean, I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through, um, thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kahneman. It's, it's really good. He's like a Nobel Prize winning uh, economist, mm-hmm. but his book is just about psychology. And it's as I'm reading it, it's, there's so many things he does these like these like little mental activities real quick, and you do it, and then he's like, "Well, this is why you're wrong." And I'm like, "Oh shit, I was wrong. Damn, I got to start using my my slow brain instead of my fast intuitive brain because <laughs> that's what the whole thing is about. Is like you're you're the 
system one and system two system one is like your intuitive like you want a quick answer it's the most efficient the lazy part and then there's system two which is like you got to do the work and that's when you know when system two happens your eyes dilate and there's a lot of like physical kind of tall tales but that makes me think about like interacting with other people Mm -hmm. like um getting triggered by something that somebody says and having your quick fire answer Mm -hmm. versus uh gosh now i'm he had another author on there the other day uh on joe rogan i listen to all of his podcasts so um it was uh i'm gonna draw a blank on it um do you know what he's written hmm? do you know what he's written that's what i was trying to recall the name of the book um it's not negotiation. It was the CI or the oh. former FBI investigator. Um, how to n- negotiate? Um, yeah, it's like a never settle or what is it called? Never. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Never split the difference. Never split the difference. There we go. So Chris Moss. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I'm drawing a blank on what I was thinking of beforehand on what it was on that book that that got me. Oh. Yes, he was talking about how he would use his late night radio DJ voice. Oh yeah, and that slows the tone down a little bit, and the ability to ask more questions and kind of keep the other person feeding information. Um, it's a like that particularly is a skill in like requiring you to listen. If I ask you a question that's kind of rhetorical because I already know the answer. It's because I'm ready to fire back with my retort, right? But if I ask you a question and I'm prepared to ask you why two or three more times, what makes you think that way? Why do you feel that way? Mm -hmm. It just, I'm, I'm putting myself in the role of listener, right? Um, and, uh, and then doing that also while slowing down and getting my tone in check, being intentional about that, that makes me feel like it makes you use the slower acting part of your brain and not the quick twitch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I uh, I read that before I got a new job, and uh, I had never negotiated my wages for any job I've ever had, and I did, and I got twenty percent more than they originally offered. So that book helped me tremendously, Chris Voss. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but it's also a very stoic thing, you know, to like to not have that quick fire reaction. You know, it's to to take input, and because you you can't control everything around you but you can control your reaction to things around you. Mm. And so that's a very stoic thing. You know, Marcus Aurelius talks about that a lot is that in Seneca, you don't have to, you, you don't have to just react to everything as it happens. You know, sometimes you need to, but that's where the training comes in. You know, if you're well-trained, then your reaction is probably the right reaction. But if you're not, then sit on it for a second. And that's not, that doesn't mean to, there are two types of stoic, you know, there's the stoic, like, I have no emotion. And then there's just the stoic where you take something in, you think about it and then you, you react. Mm. The other stoic is you never, you never have an emotional reaction to everything. It all just sits in there. And then until you blow up and you, yeah. it's, you know, it's always, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Ah, you know, don't be that stoic, be the good stoic. <laughs> yeah. I like, uh, there's another phrase that, uh, kind of thinking of practicing it. Like, like you can't just say become stoic. Right. There are techniques that must be practiced. Yeah. Right. Like, especially looking at it from a martial arts standpoint. Yeah. One of them I've been using for a couple of years 
my my wife's caught on to me to where she's almost like thinks I'm trolling her. Um, but if something catches my attention, to try to get in the habit of going, interesting. Whether I'm for it or against it, yeah. if it catches my attention or catches my curiosity, mm-hmm. just verbalizing interesting, my brain immediately goes, why is that interesting? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not a, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. It's got me interested. Why is that interesting? Yeah. Why? Why? What makes you think that? That makes you say something so interesting. Like having that as a technique that's practiced is has been pretty valuable too. Yeah, and that's a perfect example of uh, the book Thinking Fast and Slow. Because instead of doing that, if you were just to you know your your gut reaction to whatever someone says to you, whether it's if it's interesting, good or bad, your gut reaction is probably not going to be good half the time. Uh, statistically half the time it's not gonna yeah. be good but <laughs> if if you say that yeah then that also that kicks in system two where then yeah system two starts saying okay let's dig into that a little bit instead of system one just saying no no, no fuck you you know <laughs> it's just like yeah that's that's actually a really good technique that demonstrates that book perfectly you should probably check into that book i'll get it on you, audible you, i've you, got you, a few credits yeah. I, I saved up so. it's a it's a big one so it's probably a pretty good audible listen yeah. but um it's uh because it's like it's like 450 pages and it's a lot of like he taught he's he and his research partner had they had done a lot of studies and so that's what the entire book is just all of his studies and then obviously referencing other studies but it's it's a good one i'm i'm enjoying it so far um but yeah i i love that book i've read it several times and it's that in conjunction with listening to the Rick Rubin and Maynard Keenan, I read that one again while we were in Arkansas and driving back from Arkansas, I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. And that's, that's what did it. That's awesome. Well, and treating it like, like there's so many good, valuable things I got. I've got a friend of mine that, uh, she does jujitsu. She helps me out with the kids classes. Hi Jen. And a phenomenal artist, phenomenal artist. And I think she just is inspired to do her artwork many hours a day yeah um her tiktok and uh, i don't know about her instagram page but her tiktok has just blown up with a bunch of followers lately and me and a couple other people are like we need to figure out you need to monetize this and she's (laughs) like meh (laughs) you know she's like whatever i don't really know how any of that works yeah yeah. i just do the art thing and i'm like oh man uh i've never seen anybody do probably the most unique piece of it that i like is it's not like here's a piece of art her tiktok is from it's like a time lapse of her art being created in 20 or 30 seconds yeah and it's fun to watch because sometimes she'll be on a good roll you go oh i see what she's doing and she'll scrap it and start again and you can see oh it evolved in just this one iteration of that character she's drawing or that landscape you know swiped it and started it again and it's evolved in just that one sitting yeah you know and um and then you can kind of scroll past to the beginning of her TikTok and watch how it's grown, you know, over time. And that's fun. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, you know, and, and that's, I, I think you'd probably agree that with martial arts, like anything else, consistency, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what with something like, um, like making a presence online and TikTok, YouTube, whatever, it's about just consistently putting material out there because if you don't then people are like oh it was just uh, some phase whatever we're we're not going to come back but 
if you're always putting it out there, then people are always going to come back and like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like to see this over and over again. And there's the growth aspect, you know, it's like people who saw, um, uh, Beeple, you know, he was like, <laughs> he was on Rogan too, but when he started, it was just like, it was just shit, you know, but you see his growth cause he just did a piece every single day. And then, you know, He's making millions on NFTs yeah. all of a sudden because <laughs> yeah. he put in the work. Well, and that's something, too, I was thinking with our friend that I was talking about. Like, um, I have no idea how many hours. She talks about spending hours and hours. But I was like, if an artist in general, whether it's music or art or anything, if you took a 40-hour work week, the average you know work week, and said maybe each day, you know, it's an eight-hour day or so, uh, each day you spent four or five hours creating content like that and then spend the next four hours figuring out how to monetize it, figuring out how do I get this to people, you know? Um, it kind of fills in that gap. And most people, they either spend all their time in one or the other. Either they made a thing and now I'm going to obsess over how to make it viral or I'm just making things. Yeah. I don't really care about that other piece. You know, that's kind of like with jujitsu for a long time. I'm just there to do jujitsu. I don't really care about this business piece. If it wasn't, Mindy and I spent some time in, uh, Denver managing an academy and as the GM I had to run the show on somebody else's checkbook mm-hmm. like it was not an option for me to come up with something that wasn't a cash positive in the profit and loss statement you know yeah. and so doing that we did that for a couple of years and doubled the size of the academy and it made me think oh I can do this yeah I, I, I've done it I just gonna I'm gonna repeat that and Spend, you got to spend time on the phone, you know, making phone calls. You got to answer emails and all that. And there'll be, you know, ebbs and flows in our business. And when it's slow and I'm like, man, we haven't had any new students in. I can go, oh, our voicemail box is full. Mm. <laughs> Idiot. You know, like it's not that yeah. hard to figure out. You yeah. know, I need to get back to work, you know. Yeah. Um, I get people that will come in and be like, yeah, I'm finally here. I sent a couple of emails. And I'm like, oh. Email is not the best way to interact with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an email guy. Mm. Yeah. I, I, um, I actually just two months ago, I got my voicemail set up on my phone before then people were just like, uh, it just rings and then stops and there's no way to leave a voice. I'm like, well, text me or something. (laughs) Just, or I finally set it up now, but it's, I'm an email guy. That's how I try to keep track of everything. So I had an app. No, it's take a lot of notes, but maybe it was, uh, grasshopper it was an audio app it's for businesses mm-hmm. this might have been what we used in denver and i believe it'll text out voicemail or mm. voicemails to you you can answer them just like an email you could even i liked it because we were using this to talk with prospective students that were coming in oh, okay and they would call and leave a voicemail and i could text their phone number back after reading their voicemail so i could call them back too yeah but it like got them in the loop also where i can go oh i'm sorry i missed your call We've got class of it, like go right to directly answering their question. We got class between this time and this time on Monday or Tuesday, mm-hmm. what works best. And then they tell me what's best. Great. Then I call them and set the appointment, you know, because yeah. I could do that and interact with three or four people at the same time with a text message. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Cause with voicemail, I'll listen to it and I'll take a mental note and then I'll delete it. And then, but then it's fucking gone it, with yeah. a text message. It's still, every time I open my text, I'm like, Oh yeah. That. But with the voicemail, I, I, I can't. Like um, uh, email, I'm like inbox zero. I have to either read, delete, put it, archive something. I have to put it yeah. somewhere because I don't want my regular inbox just full of stuff. So 
I've yeah. got about nine thousand emails in my inbox. So. <laughs> I can't. I, I see that like I have I have students that are like they'll be screen sharing or whatever, and they'll like I'll see their their Gmail and it'll say you know whatever thousand plus, and I'm just like oh god, I can't look at that man. You're gonna it's have like... <laughs> a grade lower if you don't fix that by Friday. Oh, and, and and those same people will have their their Chrome tabs open, and it'll have the very oh. red update button. I'm like, please update your Chrome. <laughs> need... Or they'll have a thousand tabs at the <laughs> yeah, top. That's, that's a security risk. I need you to go ahead and take care of that. No, I've got a couple of folders that, and, and I, it's about that time. I'll make a. 2022 old email folder. Oh yeah. And I'll go, I'll start, I'll scroll down and then grab them all. And I'll spend a couple of hours checking that box and then dragging them over there and dropping them. And then I'll search them if I need them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, sh- I should probably spend more time unsubscribing. That's what makes it get out of control real quick. Oh yeah. Definitely. You have to subscribe to get going on a certain track with yep. certain companies. I have to, every now and then I just have to go through and like, I'll get, you know, 15 emails. I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I just, I subscribed to this two years ago and I've never interacted with them again. I need to just delete that. But there's always those ones where I'm like, but it's such a cool company. You know, I'm probably going to use it eventually, but it's just like stuff I have land, you know, whatever random thing. I'm like, I'll use that eventually, but then I never do. So it's like, I'm terrible with clutter because I'm like, I'll use that. I won't. So I have boxes of shit in the garage, but, uh, well, and it's been an hour and a half. That's probably that's probably a good time. <laughs> the, the first one I did, it was uh, it ended up being a little over two hours, and I had to cut it into two because something something happened with the the upload on YouTube, and it messed up. And it, I mean, it, it literally took twenty four hours to upload. I'm like, why is this going so slow? Man, but man. but uh, I never understand YouTube's upload process is ridiculous. I can airdrop something to you in an instant. Yeah. But man, I think it's I've just the server load, content, you know. Really? Yeah, it's just there's so many people doing it, and it's mm-hmm. they have to they have to boost their servers every now and then, and it depends on the time of day too. You know, if you do it like uh, on a weekday, if you do it at you know four o'clock, kids have gotten out of school, so there's like YouTube is just crushed, you know. But if you do it in the middle of the night, like a you know a midnight on a school day, then it'll 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 upload faster. But um, sometimes I'm just like. It just takes so long. And I, I try to have decent video, and th- this camera doesn't have the best. Or I don't think it's the camera, uh, per se. The, the camera's a 4K, 60 FPS, but uh, I think it's somewhere between OBS, the software, and uploading to YouTube that where it gets compressed. Well, YouTube is, like, notorious for compressing video, but uh, I think OBS has something to do with it, too. But Yeah, I don't know what any of that stuff means. Yeah, this is OBS. <laughs> it's the recording software. Yeah. Um, and it, what it does is it, it just crushes the, the, the quality. So if you watch YouTube videos and then compare it to, you know, someone who just like uploaded the video to their website directly, their video is going to be so much better quality because YouTube, because I mean, they're just going through terabytes of data every single day. They have to compress those videos or they won't have room on their servers yeah. or they keep having to rent more and more and more servers, you know? So. But it's Google, so they have their own servers, so whatever. But, um, but yeah, man, I hope you enjoy. I know, yeah, you said you listen to it, but uh, oh, it's, it's, it's a good read too. Yeah, and, it's uh, valuable. It's one of those that you need to keep yeah. recycling every once yeah. in a while. I like all the stuff about the the muses and everything, and and uh, some sort of higher power, conscious like cloud to pull inspiration from. I, I like his idea of all that, so that's why I enjoy it. But. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, I appreciate sure. it. I'll have to do yeah, it again sometime. It. Absolutely. Uh, I think we'll do it again 
and we'll actually do the guitar bit maybe record Excellent. something or, or do uh, a live stream of that or something I'm always down yeah that'd be cool so. I keep that thing on me <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> like my piece <laughs>